Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. We're limited in what we know. We're limited by our perspective. We're limited by our experience. And so by taking into account that there's no way that any one of us knows all of the causes and conditions that lead up to each moment, that can seem a little bit scary, but actually when you internalize it, it's a relief. So then we just do the best we can. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 180. Today we're talking about how to practice mindfulness together with our kids with Susan Kaiser Greenland. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course coming up soon, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans, which is available for pre-sale. Woot, 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 woot. So go to raisinggoodhumansbook.com, learn more. I have book bonuses, all kinds of great stuff. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm going to give you the whole first chapter and more, more, more. So go to raisinggoodhumansbook.com and check it out. Woohoo! <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. Dear listener, welcome. I am glad you are here. I'm glad to be in your ears. Whether you are driving a car or folding your laundry or going for a walk or 
sitting still and listening. I wonder. Hmm. But I'm so excited because in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Susan Kaiser Greenland, who is an internationally recognized leader in teaching mindfulness and meditation to children teens and families. She co-founded the Inner Kids Foundation, a not not profit that teaches secular mindfulness in schools and community-based programs in greater LA. And um, my guest from episode number 178 has worked closely with Susan Kaiser Greenland, in fact, Annika Harris. So um, I am so excited for you to be here and be part of this conversation. I am going to ask her about basically this question, right? Like mindfulness practices help us become less reactive. So how do we share it with our kids? You know, it really helps kids enormously to carry with them a set of tools to help them whenever they get upset or when life gets overwhelming. So um, listen for you know, self-compassion. We're going to talk about self-compassion, how keeping a sense of humor and taking care of ourselves are the three most important things for parents. Um, mindfulness, you're, we're going to talk about mindfulness activities that help children when they're feeling upset and um, that we can, how, when we're going about teaching mindfulness to kids, when we, the, you know, she has mindfulness games, we want to teach them to kids first when they're not upset so there's less resistance. Ding, 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 ding. Oh my gosh. Why did I not think of that before? Thank you so much, Susan Kaiser Greenland. So I'm so excited for you to join me in this conversation. Before we dive in, I just want to ask you if you are subscribed to the podcast and have you left a review. We are looking to get more reviews on Apple Podcasts because it makes such a huge difference in helping People find the podcast, the vast majority of listeners listen to it on Apple Podcasts. And so if you are one of those and you haven't left your review yet, please do that. It makes a big difference. My, my team and I work so hard to get amazing guests for you, to put this podcast out every week. It takes the work of three amazing people to get it there to you, here to you and in your ears. So please support it by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Thank you so much in advance. And now join me at the table as I talk to Susan Kaiser Greenland. All right, Susan, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad you could be here. And I'm super excited about talking about you have done an enormous amount of work about sharing mindfulness with kids. And we're going to be definitely talking about that. But first, I'm a little curious about your own journey into this. You have been studying meditation. You've been studying Buddhism for quite a while now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Let's see. I think I started, um, well, let's see. I started studying in 2000. No, sorry. I started studying in 1993, I think, and have studied pretty consistently since then. Although um, my work is secular, I draw from Buddhist roots in a lot of the work. I draw from universal themes and contemplative practices, but I also draw from science and psychology and uh, good educational systems and just plain old common sense. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, what what brought you to what you brought you to your study in the first place? Well, we had a family crisis, um, and there was a health crisis, and so it just it's 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 actually kind of a long but a funny story if you want to hear it. I was at the time a lawyer because I was a lawyer for almost 20 years uh, representing owned and operated radio and network stations for uh, TV and television stations for networks, first for, CB first for ABC and later for CBS. And um, I had a toddler and I was pregnant with our new, the next one. Uh, and those kids are now 28 and 25. So it was a while ago. And uh, you know, and my husband got a lousy diagnosis, although he's absolutely fine now. And so I was looking for alternative ways of helping treatment. He was also in conventional treatment. And so I kind of decided that we were poisoning ourselves with the food we were eating. So I got a little bit obsessive, which is something that I am capable of doing. And I started going through all of the cupboards and getting rid of anything with sugar or processed ingredients or anything like that. And one day my husband asked me to go to a meditation class and I thought, oh, well, you know, he's got this health thing going on. I can understand why he wants to go. And he said, no, 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 honey, it's not for me. It's for you because you're driving me crazy. This food. <laughs> and so that's how I started. And it's interesting. And I think it might help some of your parents out there. The first meditation class I took, I took a 20 minute introduction and then I went and I sat in the Zen Center, and I could not sit on that cushion for more than two or three minutes. It was a half hour, maybe it was 20 minutes, half hour sit, and my husband stayed the whole time, but I literally went running out of the room because I was in a very difficult time, and I had kept myself very distracted by all of these work projects, being a mom, and this food thing that I thought was helpful, and um, had in that process not allowed myself to really feel the feelings I had being a young mom who was working with a baby on the way and a husband who was sick. And so I really oh, wow. noticed those feelings for the first time on that cushion and I just couldn't tolerate it. Oh, so wow. to, I hope that that is an inspiring story for people because it's 20-ish uh, years later, more than 20 years later now, and I'm teaching the stuff and this type of work has transformed my life. But at the time, it took me a while to kind of find my way in. You were like, what is this craziness? I can't handle it. Yeah, I guess you were probably in a major kind of like, I mean, you, you kind of strike me as like an achiever, Susan, right? You're like, <laughs> you're like a person who really gets things done. And so I imagine at that time, you know, you were just like, there are problems, we will fix them. There was the to-do list the, and the numbing was happening through the the to-do list, right? That's kind of like, I feel like that's mom's numbing of choices, the to-do list. And it sounds like it was kind of that way for you. Exactly. And you know, those, it's not the worst thing in the world to numb a little bit sometimes. It kind of helps you titrate, you know, you take in as much as you can take and then you can have these coping mechanisms. But ultimately it catch us, catches up with us if we don't really sit with whatever it is that's happening. And, um, and experience it. So how did you get from the, the, how did you get from running out of the room to to having this be such an important part of your life? Well, I gave it a rest for a while and um and instead my husband and I decided to move out. We were living in Manhattan at the time and we decided to move out of the city and out to the country where we could more easily 
uh, eat organic food, all of those things that had become important to me. And, um, and I took a leave of absence. And uh, there I happened upon different cassette tapes. That's how long ago this was. These were cassette tapes. Cassettes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I listened to Sharon Salzberg's uh, Loving Kindness cassette. I listened to Jack Kornfeld's Path with Heart cassette. And I'm pretty sure I listened to some of Joseph Goldstein's tracks, too, because those were the three preeminent teachers at the time. And they were out at IMS, which, was, which is Insight Meditation Society in back east, not so far from where we were living. But I had two young kids at the time, and um, it just wasn't a good fit for me to be going off on retreat. Uh, it just wasn't going to work. And so I, again, hope that it's inspiring to people listening that these tapes, you know, uh, when they first started coming out, people in, in my part of the business thought, you know, are these problematics, but they can be remarkably helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like the seeds got watered in you and you said there, there is a possibility for healing. There's a possibility for being, being more present. It sounds like, so, so some of the things you were struggling with was maybe like worry for your husband and probably some anxiety was really coming up for you at that time, I imagine. Yeah. Fear. I was terrified. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened was we moved to Los Angeles because my husband's a writer and this is where his work was. And out here, I, I met a meditation teacher who I will forever be grateful to. His name is Ken McLeod. And he was a local teacher. And I studied with him quite regularly uh, for many years. And that's when, that's when things really started to shift for me. And I started to see that this practice can transform um, lives and people and reactive patterns in ways that um, I had never imagined was possible. So can you describe that a little bit more? Like, because sometimes, um, sometimes I feel like I'm saying, oh, to a busy mom who has a dad who is like, life is chock full. I'm like, trust me, this is going to be worth your while <laughs> to find this like short amount of time and to build the seed of this practice. And, and here's why. But I, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about what were some of those, those, um, those fruits that you got gained from your practice. Yeah, I, I think of it, and this is how I teach now, and it's been, I didn't get this then. Uh, it's been a long course of study. I still, to this day, study with teachers. I go on retreat. I, I'm able to, and I was never able to go on a retreat for longer than five days while our kids were home. It just didn't make sense. You know, I know plenty of moms do it and plenty of dads do it, but for for our family system, it just didn't make sense. But the minute they were off to college, I started really up in my retreat game. So I still study uh, quite a bit. Um, and in that study, it's become clear to me that across traditions, because uh, there's differences among contemplative traditions, whether it's uh, contemplative prayer, centering prayer, or whether, or whether it's uh, Buddhist practice, or whether it's secular mindfulness, um, there are differences in language and differences in approach. But for me, as far as creating a secular program and finding something that 
uh, busy, busy anybody's, whether the parents or lawyers or clinicians or therapists or teachers can actually dig into is to really think of it as a two-step approach. I mean, the first step is just a better understanding of our own and other people's nervous systems. And I have been surprised. I'm very fortunate. I have traveled all over the place um, and met with teachers and educators and parents uh, quite literally across the globe and, and people who are in their credential teaching kids. And I've been very surprised the lack of real basic understanding on how nervous systems work. Now that's starting to change thanks to the good work of people like Linda Graham, Dan Siegel, Tina Bryson. They're really getting out there and teaching this in a very accessible way. But first, really helping parents understand that when they're overwrought, when they're worked up, or when they're tired or hungry or stressed out, that there's a kind of evolutionary imperative that our bandwidth narrows and a kind of a survival instinct kicks in. And that survival instinct is fight, flight, or freeze. And when that bandwidth is narrow, we really don't have the capacity to be able to think through problems, to be open, listening, and receptive. If I had known that little bit of information as a young mom or as a young wife, I would have saved the whole family system a whole lot of trouble. Because I remember when, I, when my kids were worked up or when my husband was worked up or when I was worked up, still going in there and trying to solve a problem, talk things through, fix it. And now I, with a better understanding, I know, okay, when, when I feel riled up or if somebody else does, not the best time to try to solve something, but a good time to take a mindfulness-based strategy where you move your attention away from what it is you're thinking about to a neutral or a pleasant present moment experience. And in that experience, our minds start to settle, our shoulders start to lower, our jaws start to become less tight. And that's the mindfulness-based calming strategies that really help us kind of settle out the nervous system. So that's the first key. And then to learn these calming strategies that include things like breathing on purpose, which is quite a bit different from mindful breathing, but using your breath to help regulate you. Yeah. And that's something that's not just used by contemplatives. I mean, first responders, folks in the military, Navy SEALs, they all have these specific breathing techniques that help them to calm and focus. So that's the mindfulness per first part, the mindfulness self-regulation part. Doesn't take long to do, doesn't take long to practice. You can get that in just a few minutes a day. Yeah. But then yeah. comes the fun part. The fun part is then weaving in these universal themes that are threaded through uh, uh, contemplative traditions in general and philosophy and from theology and from psychology. Themes like how everything changes. Thing, themes like learning to let go, but that doesn't mean we just give up. Themes like um, being more open-minded, not everything isn't black and white. Themes like a real deep felt sense recognition that we're limited in what we know. We're limited by our perspective. We're limited by our experience. And so by taking into account that there's no way that any one of us knows all of the causes and conditions that lead up to each moment, that can seem a little bit scary, but actually when you internalize it, it's a relief. So then we just do the best we can.
and maybe the most powerful and maybe the most important one for parents is a self a theme that relates very closely to self-compassion, which is this idea that we're basically good inside. So even when we're neurotic, even when we're stressed out, even when we're not our best selves, if when we're calmer, we look at it, that peace was likely driven by a desire for something good, a desire for our family to be well, a desire that our children don't get hurt, a desire to make some money to make our family comfortable and support them. So when we start to reframe these, these areas where we may have a bit of a misstep, we may not be our best self, we recognize that we try to improve on those things so we don't do it again, but we also give ourselves a break and start to see just a manifestation of me really wanting the best for my family. Yeah. And those kind of themes are, are life-changing and transformative. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely are. There's there's so much there, Susan. Um, just, you know, going back to number one, the better understanding of one's own nervous system. Um yeah, that is something that I teach a lot. And it's, it's wonderful because it is so, it, it's like suddenly it's not personal. Mm -hmm. It's not me. That's this thing. It's just, you got this wiring, right? This is just how it works, you know? So it's like a big relief because we put all this weight on our shoulders to be perfect and to do it. And then it's like, oh, this is just this wiring I have. Okay. This makes a lot of sense. And, and I love that universal theme of the, the calming strategies for me, I think like, 
you know, the, the yoga breathing, right? Like let's, let's, cal- you know, use those strategies to calm down the body, bring in that, that rest re- and relax response. But then all of these things, like everything changing, open-mindedness, we don't know everything. Those are also things that take, um, some weight off our shoulders too, right? We tend to, I guess it's, I guess, I don't know, I guess what it's like the idea of a, a separate self, right? It's kind of like the ego that wants to put all of this weight on us and say, you know, we should know anything, all that stuff. Do you think it's, it's because it's like, it's like the ego that is driving us to just, um, to think that we should just have every single answer? Yeah, well, that's, you know, you're pointing to something really important there. And one of the fundamental pieces of classical practice is this loosening up of the ego. And that doesn't happen quickly. It happens over time. And it often happens just as we get a little bit older and wiser, you know. Um, But that loosening up of this sense of taking it personally, like you said before, or that this is about me. I mean, how rare is it that things are really about us? Or just a sense of, you know, relaxation and softening again off of this idea of basic me, me, mine, mine. And when you start to see that shift in people, then you start to know, okay, their their mindfulness, their practice is really starting to uh, to become integrated. Yeah, yeah. Because part of, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. It, it's just part of that comes with just a recognition that it's not a zero sum game, that everything is interconnected, that there really is. Pl- it doesn't seem like it now, but there really is plenty to go around if we're able to not get hooked, our ego get hooked on these um, things that are hard not to take personally. And it's particularly hard because we're living in a world and, re- and relating to people who aren't actually seeing things this way. Mm-hmm. We're, we're trying to develop a less metric-driven, less linear, go, go, do, do, got to be uh, way of being in the world in relation to people who are still very much driven by and believe in and scared of this notion that it is a zero-sum game and it is about them and all of the shame and blame and all that that goes with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's like you're just kind of in the soup of a culture that is like doggy, you know, tells you that you got to get your own and you got to get more and more and more and and yeah. all of those things. So it it it's hard to it's hard to lean into those things. But congratulations, dear listener. That's exactly what you're doing right now is watering those watering that's those right. wonderful seeds of 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 remembering the, of getting getting that that bigger, wiser perspective. So before we talk more about kind of sharing some of this with children, I'm I'm just want thinking back to you and your story, Susan. Now that you're in this place, you know, as sort of the older wiser version of you if you think back to the younger version of you what is the what is the advice you would give yourself as a young mom well the first advice and it's interesting because when i started i had been teaching a lot of teachers and a few years ago i'd always taught parents but a few years ago i was asked to create a parenting program and i thought okay this is going to be pretty easy because i'll just take what i've been teaching teachers and just switch it around a little bit and then the more I really got in there and was working with parents, I realized, no, 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 this really isn't the case. Because 
parenting's real, but a parent's relationship to the children is so different. And I think the first thing that we need to help parents with is self-compassion and going a whole lot easier on themselves. So I would, um, I would really encourage and do really encourage young moms and dads to take, uh, to just try to relax around all of this and to have faith and trust that this is a long, this is not a marathon, not a sprint. And if we hold a, a loving, attached, uh, contained kind of family unit together or relationships together, uh, if our relationship with our kids is, if you're really there for them, that even through the rough spots, that things have a way of working out in ways that we might not expect. And that the rough spots are actually crucial to working these things out. You know, we're not doing our kids any favors by um, not allowing them to have to learn to navigate some of these rough spots. So if the more we can, as young parents, keep a sense of humor and take care of ourselves, which means remembering that we're no good to our kids or our spouse or in our job, really, if we're worn down, if we're stressed out, if we're hungry, if we're tired. So that idea of carving time out for yourself for self-care, whether it's mindfulness practice, whether it's meditation, whether it's exercise, whether it's just listening to music, whether it's taking a book and reading and really chilling out, that feels to many young moms and dads like a selfish act. They think, oh, I would be better off really having FaceTime with my kids, or I would be better off going to work and make some more money or any one of a number of things. But when we can reframe that for them, that if they are just a little bit less neurotic, if they are just a little bit more open and receptive and have a sense of humor and laughing and joyfulness, that that's gonna have a ripple effect and that will affect their kids and that will affect their families and their spouses and everyone that they come into contact with and everyone that their kids and their, and their partners and their, the people around them come into contact with. So the idea of reframing taking time for yourself as one of an altruistic act as opposed to a um, selfish act I, that's my number one advice for parents, just to remind yourself to, unless if you take good care of yourself, you can't take care of others. And then for the parents who, um, who are a little on the other side of the spectrum and uh, are a little more self-involved, taking care of others, you also take care of yourself. It's a beautiful co-circle of, of reciprocity and helping. So by taking care of ourselves, we're able to help the people around us. And by helping the people around us, we take care of ourselves because it makes us feel good and it, it, it nourishes us. Mm, you're speaking my language, Susan. I, I could just give you a big old amen there. Absolutely. A big old amen. So thinking about that, like, were these things that you had to, were these things that you had to, to learn all on your own or like kind of what was your own parenting like? And as you were a child was, you know, did, did you have to unlearn some things that were challenging and did you, you know, or, you know, maybe your parents were like crazy enlightened. I don't know. <laughs> How did that go for you? Well, I, my parents aren't here anymore, but I loved them, you know, mm -hmm. and they, 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 they loved us and they wanted nothing but the best for us. 
Um, but they were 50s parents and you know I was very lucky my mom had been a kindergarten teacher and before she had kids and then she stopped working when she did have kids working outside of the home so she clearly got this good attachment you know stuff in early childhood because I think all of us were my my brother who's now passed away unfortunately my sister and I all did get that solid sense of bonding with our mom. But other than that, they were 50s parents and this stuff just wasn't widely available to them. So I did have a lot of unlearning to do. Um, and I had another layer of unlearning to do because I, had, I was trained as a lawyer and that I liked that training. I, I don't think I could have done what I did in this field had I not had that training because I got in very, very early. Um, but in the process of that, my meditation had to really, I had a lot of unlearning to do because talk about a metric driven linear way of looking at things uh, that, that I got pretty uh, heavily uh, conditioned towards through my professional work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, I think that we're in general kind of societally, it's exciting to see things spread, right? That we are growing, we are evolving. Like in my father's generation, it was completely normal for you know, him to be beaten with a belt. And now we consider that abusive. So it's, it's um, sometimes we think everything is kind of going to hell in a handbasket, but there's, there's some incredibly uh, good news kind of as we sort of see ourselves growing. So, yeah. so you, um, you teach a lot of teaching and sharing mindfulness with kids. Did that come from sharing it with your own kids? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it started. And then for the last decade, most of my work has been teaching adults who are interested in working with kids. But yeah, I started with my own kids. When, when I started, there was no, no secular mindfulness out there at all. And there weren't even that many Buddhist programs. We did try to take our kids to a Buddhist family program once. It, uh, it, it was hilarious, but it was not going to happen again. It just wasn't a good fit for us. How old were they? I'm just out of curiosity. Yeah, I think our daughter was probably in about first grade and our son was in preschool. I mean, yeah, I'll never forget it because uh, our son was was sitting there for a while because also it was before. I mean, this was way back when, when people really thought you could sit with kids and with parents and have the kids sit for 10, 15 (laughs) minutes quietly. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so my son made it a couple minutes before he asked uh, my husband, uh, you know, when do I have to stop pretending someone stole my brain? And so <laughs> my husband, who was a good sport to go along with this anyway, in the first instance, just kind of looked at me and said, we're out of here. And uh, that was that. And it was uh, a couple of things like that. So I just, I got, there were, there were no, there were no yoga cushions for kids. It was that long ago. So I got a pillow, like a, like a cushion. I got a rubber duck and I got a um, rubber frog and I put them in front of my son who was interested in this kind of stuff. And that's how I started developing these activities. And that's, that's what the, especially that first part of my work was, was develop, developing activity-based mindfulness, which is our mindful games, which are these practices, these really powerful transformative practice, but embedded in an activity, it's, um, which involves some sharing and some talking to kids about how this does apply to real, in real life. So can you give us some examples of some mindfulness activities for kids? 
Yeah, well, you know, real simple ones at the um, that you can use around the house are just things like every time you go to the front door in the morning. I don't know if your house is anything like ours was, but you know, we were shot out of a cannon in the morning. We knew we were supposed to pack lunch boxes and all that stuff, but it didn't happen. And so we were rushing, 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 but we would stop at the door and before we left and just take a few purposeful breaths and kind of collect ourselves. So we were going out of the house in a less uh, less agitated state. And, um, you know, there's always the, you know, the now very well-known uh, activity that I started using with kids long, long ago, where you put a stuffed animal on their tummy and you have them move the tummy up and down with their breathing and pretend that they're rocking the, a stuffed animal to sleep. And that's a very helpful bedtime ritual. And if it's a little child who's not really yet able to get this by moving their tummy up and down, or if they move their up and t- tummy up and down like that, which happens, they can just breathe naturally. And For the walk. listener, Susan is waving oh. her arm up and down. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You, if you're a mom, you can imagine it. You know, it's yeah. like they, they deliberately push their stomach up and push their stomach up. Yeah. So then they can just watch the uh, animal move up and down as they breathe. And that's a very fun and helpful and oh, calming cool. nighttime ritual. I like so that one. Stuff for little ones. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And then, um, and then to help them find the middle of their cushion. Uh, and to find what kind of center means through a, a movement activity, they uh, sway side to side while chanting the rhyme. So they'll go tick tock like a clock until you find your center stop. And then once in the center, you can do any one of a number of things. You can ring a bell and have them, you know, raise their hand when the sound stops, open their eyes when the sound stops, move their arm to the sound of the bell, anything like that. And then go back and forth and do the TikTok again because toggling between moving activities and stillness, movement and grounding is a wonderful way to help kids get a felt sense of the kind of calming and regulatory effects of this practice, especially when kids are having a hard time sitting still. And it's also a great trauma-informed practice because if you're working with groups or, you know, if you've got kids over, you know, you never really know the background of all of the different children. So by including um, more movement in these short periods of, um, of practice, you're helping uh, ensure that that's not going to be too much uh, introspection for somebody who's, uh, who might have some, some be triggered by that. Yeah. Yeah. So it might not be safe. That's so cool. I love, I love those activities. I know that these, there's going to be spread far and wide just from sharing some of these right here and now. So listener, if you, if you want to share a picture of your little one with the, the stuffed animal on the belly, I would love to see that. Make sure you tag me in it wherever you share. Yes, and tag and, and, and tag Hunter in a picture of them swinging side by side and chanting the rhyme. Oh my God, I love, love that. that. They love that. And then you can listen to the bell or you can count breaths with using your fingers. You put one finger up for one breath, mm. another finger up for a second breath, the third finger up for the third breath. So you swing, sway side to side, chant the rhyme, and then you can count breaths or listen to a bell. And um, the kids love that. And it's fun for everybody. So um, 
so do you recommend some of these mindfulness? What do you see as some of the benefits for kids of doing some of these activities for you? you oh. know, you're talking about stuff for really pretty young kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, the benefits for kids is, and they learn this fair, they pick it up like sponges and they learn it, learn it from a young age. The benefit for kids is that they really do get a, a set of very simple tools that are with them all the time that can help them when they're starting to feel upset or overwhelmed or what I like, what we call around our house, too much birthday. I mean, we often like, uh, you know, we, we always key in on when kids are upset or crying or sad, but there's also that too much birthday thing when they're just overly excited and overly stimulated, which tends to lead to somebody getting, feeling, you know, upset about something. So when you start seeing too much birthday coming on again, you can, you can do these practices. And another really simple practice to remember for parents is just this general idea that a slight emphasis on the exhale is going to help with calming. So just breathing in a little bit and breathing out a whole lot. And you can do that with uh, one finger and you hold up your, your index finger and you pretend that's a flower and you smell the flower and then you pretend it's a candle and you blow out the candle mm. or you can um, put your hand, cup your hands like this. And I think I heard, I learned this from my friend, Chris Willard and pretend that you're holding a cup of hot chocolate and you smell the hot chocolate through your nose and you blow out to cool it. And those are other great calming strategies. So you can imagine having a child going <laughs> and then you just breathe in a, a little bit and breathe out a whole lot mm. and do that a few times. And that will help with that kind of, um, up, you know, manage that kind of upset. So when the kids learn these things, they integrate them and they very quickly start bringing them out into the playground. And you hear this from teachers where there's some, you know, conflict and somebody says, let's stop and feel our breathing or something like that. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Wow. Wow, that's so cool. Um, Yeah, uh, you know, one of my favorite things that I like to share with my girls is um, from, from the, the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition. Um, and they, he talks about the idea of the hugging meditation and just a three breath hug. And so that's something that I, that they have, they seem to have a little, they have some resistance to some of this mm-hmm. stuff because I teach mindfulness. So they're like, Oh mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but they, but the three breath hug is something that has really sort of taken hold and we, we hold it, hug each other and we say, let's take a three breath hug. And that's, that feels, that feels okay. That feels good. That feels like something they really embrace. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And to extend that when they're on their own, if they don't have you to hug or if they're, excuse me, if they're not around people that they're comfortable hugging, they can do it for themselves so that they can give themselves a hug and do a three breath hug. And also with that hugging, you can also um, wish yourself well. Mm. We call them friendly wishes. You can hug yourself and just imagine that you're happy and healthy and safe and living with the people you love comfortably and with peace. So that kind of mental aspiration um, when we're upset is also another one of these practices where you're focusing on one thing and not being distracted by the thoughts that are upsetting you. We call those anchor practices. Yeah. And really what you're doing is you're really are, you know, what these are really doing, you really are working with our neurobiology. Like yeah, that just extended exhale. As soon as you do that, you know, I, I've learned in my yoga training that, you know, an inhale is like a mini fight, flight, or freeze response. And an exhale is sort of like a mini rest and relax response as far as the way the nervous takes system takes it. So it really does a lot of clear explanation for like, oh, well, in yogic breathing, if you just exhale slightly longer, then you're spending more time in that rest and relax response, and then it it changes the body. And so if you're blowing out a candle, (laughs) you know, um, you're, you're really, you're really doing that, but just the, it's a way of turning that into a game. That's what you turn it into a game. And then you play those games at times when somebody isn't upset. And the reason you do that is so that then when you need to pull it out, when somebody is upset, you've already taught the game. So that's why it's so important to establish these games as just games and not some, you know, clinical intervention or not because the child is sick or, you know, something. but it's just, mm-hmm. these are games we play. Oh, and by the way, let's play it now when things look pretty rough. Now, one of the important, important pieces of this though when we're using mindfulness-based calming strategies to help calm children when they're upset is, is, not, is to acknowledge the emotion first, yes. not to use this as a way of sweeping this all under the rug. So we acknowledge the emotion uh, oh, I'm, that's, or, or acknowledge that something rotten happened. Oh, oh pal, I'm sorry. Or, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. I know that really, that, that, that's, I'm really sorry that that happened. Um, and then, but can we also try to fill in the blank can we try to calm our bodies 
or that's another place where gratitude and appreciation comes in. So you wouldn't do this if a really tragic event had happened with a child, but if a child had a disappointment, you acknowledge the disappointment, oh buddy, I'm really sorry about that, and are there three good things that are happening too? As a way of broadening your perspective that it's not just, there is something lousy happening, but let's not just focus on that, let's broaden and see, oh, there's some good things happening too. And we have games that we play um, that, that establish this in a fun way when somebody isn't upset, like a kid sitting in a circle or a mom and mom in front or dad in front of the child rolling a ball back and forth. And I joke, it's called the whining game and you complain about something. Um, you know, wow, you know, I was late for the meeting today because traffic was bad. And then, but then when you roll the ball, you say, but life is good. Or you roll the ball and you say, but still I feel lucky because, you know, I got to the meeting and I was able to sort it out. And the kids can say, you know, I feel rotten today because I uh, don't want to be here. I would rather be at the playground, but I'm still happy to be playing this game with you. And that is a way of acknowledging the, the challenges, the disappointments, the upsets, but broadening our view to realize, yeah, there's some lousy stuff, but there's good stuff too. Mm, yeah. And you're really teaching them just simple, beautiful perspective in, in that. That's really wonderful. I love that. I'm going to try the rolling the ball game. We'll see if my 12-year-old and my nine-year-old will accept that. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. No, I bet they will. I bet they will. Yes. It, especially if you keep the ball going faster. So and mm. if you add more people to it. So, you know, because it gets funny. It gets mm. really funny. It, the other benefit, if you do that with a group, is, is that... Um, we all start to see or be reminded of the commonality of uh, our, our challenges, you know? And if somebody does say something that is very upsetting, you know, you can always say, how many other people have had that happen? And usually other people will raise their hand. So it, it helps people feel that they're not alone in, in their challenges. Mm, yes. Yes. I'm going to totally try that. Um, I love that. And if you try it to your listener, I want to hear how it goes. I'm really curious. Um, Susan, this is so wonderful. I, I would just love to like pick your brain about all these things forever. And I love um, all the things that you've shared and, and you, um, you have wonderful ways to share this with the world. You have some books, you have some programs. So where can people find out more about you and, and what you're doing? Oh, well, thank you for asking. For these games, all of these games are, there. I've written two books that include a lot of these games, The Mindful Child and Mindful Games. But there's also a set of activity cards that I created with my friend, Annika Harris, that has the games on them that you can just pull one out and do. So those are ways to get these games and to try them. Also, if you go to my website, susankaisergreenland.com, I know it's long, but that's my name. <laughs> Um, you'll see videos of the games, uh, guided meditations, audios of the game, pictures, blogs, profiles of industry leaders, that sort of thing. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you'll get this kind of stuff in the mail. And last but not least is that just yesterday, uh, a program that I created with Sounds True, Mindful Parent, Mindful Child, was released. And that's 30 10-ish minute guided meditations a day. 
The idea is you listen to one for 30 days in a row, but you can skip around and just re-listen to ones that resonate. But they are intended for parents and they are built or structured around this idea that I was talking about at the beginning, that we learn these mindfulness-based self-regulation skills first. And then we, when we do, we've got the bandwidth and the capacity to be able to think about and learn these universal themes that we've been talking about. So, so cool. Well, Susan, I thank you for doing this work, for taking that uh, intense lawyer brain and, and shining it into the world of mindfulness. And, and especially for children, it's, uh, it's um, a real gift for all of us. So, uh, that I know is is creating amazing ripple effects. So I, I just want to thank you for for doing this wonderful work and and for coming on and sharing with us here on the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for having this podcast. I I think it's the the focus for mindfulness in kids has been for so much of the time that this movement has been evolving on schools and. I love that you're focusing on parents because that's really where it all begins. And once we start getting the parents have their own practice, the surest way for them to teach mindfulness to their kids is to have mindfulness themselves. So thank you for getting the word out there. Thank you so much for listening. I love Susan says about self-compassion, keeping a sense of humor. Oh, we need that so much. And, and yeah, teaching mindfulness when they're not upset. Oh, that makes such a big difference. Um, if you would like more mindfulness in your life, dear listener, we have lots of amazing resources for you, including an audio guide call at, if you go over to the website, mindfulmomguide.com. We have a great audio guide for you that will help you create your own practice, which is the most important thing, right? If we want to have this in their life, we need to have it in our lives. We can't just say, do what I do and not what I do what I say and not what I do, right? So check that out at mindfulmomguide.com. Hey, have you left your review on Apple Podcasts for the Mindful Mama podcast yet? Because it's, it makes such a big difference. It makes a huge difference. So please, please, please support the podcast by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts. It will, every time I read those, it makes me smile hugely. It lifts me up when I'm getting down, but you don't do it just for me. Do it because it helps so many other people just find out about all these great resources that are here for you for free on the Mindful Mama podcast. And I really want to share these free resources as widely as possible. It's part of my mission. And I hope that you can help me and help, you know, everyone change generational patterns. And you can do that by just leaving a review. And of course, sharing it with friends and things like that, that makes such a big difference. So thank you in advance. And just a personal report, I am still on my French home exchange adventure. I will tell you more about it when I return. Uh, so that's what's happening with me and with you. I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you uh, some calm. I hope you don't need to 
practice staying calm in the eye of the storm too much this week. Um, although if you do know that it just makes you stronger. Um, and if you, if you can't stay calm, hopefully help let that help you cultivate your own compassion, your own self-compassion, compassion for others. Yes. Um, but I'm wishing you a nice, peaceful week where you don't have to practice any of those things and you just smile a whole lot. And, um, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'm wishing that for me too. I'm wishing that for all of us. So let's, let's practice. Let's practice to be present, to accept and love ourselves, accept and love our children. And we'll practice that together this week. Sound good? Yeah, yeah, to me too. All right. I will be back next week. Oh my goodness, talking with my dear friend Carla Nomberg about how to stop losing your beep with your kids. So be here next week. All right. Talk to you then. Namaste. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way, and there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training coming up soon where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, how your brain undermines your parenting, and how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.